You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Now available in more homes than the Pac-12 Network, we are the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online. And here he goes, Miles Jack! And I'm Ryan Abraham from USCFootball.com. Liner going to try to sneak it ahead. Touchdown, SC! We are the Podcast of Champions. Welcome, everyone, back to the podcast of champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com, the USC site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And together we make the podcast of champions. Talking all things Pac-12 football. It is a Wednesday night, not even evening, it's night. <laughs> we, are, we are recording this show at 8.40 p.m. And let me tell you, this is 40 minutes past my regular bedtime. Yeah, uh, we have a bunch of stuff going on today. We want to record a show, so we're knocking this one out on a Wednesday night, uh, watching little Olympics. The we- Lakers were on. AD just went down a little bit earlier. That's not good. But uh, Team USA uh, Hockey, mm-hmm. they're uh, losing to Canada right now. I guess Canada's good at the hockey. Who knew? Uh, <laughs> I, I I'm going to tell you. Uh, I'm watching a lot of Olympics. You are? I hardly well, I, watch I realized I didn't watch... When was the Summer Olympics last? Like two years ago? Is that what it was? No, it was like last year. Was it, it last year? It was earlier this year, right? Oh, was it? Well, I or realized... No, 2021. 2021. Who knows? Who cares? Uh, I realized I didn't watch any of it. Like literally any of it. And I'm like, wait, I have small children. Shouldn't I be like pretending at least that I care about stuff like this? Because then they can get excited about it. Because then I remembered like when I was a kid, I loved watching the friggin' Olympics. And I'm oh, like, yeah. why am I trying to, like, what am I doing here? Because I can pretend to think this is cool, and then they will, by proxy, think it is genuinely cool, and then they won't be as jaded and cynical about this stuff as I am. <laughs> so I've actually watched a lot of Olympics this cycle, and let me tell you, ever since they turned it into just Winter X Games and that's all they do with the Olympics, <laughs> it is so cool. Oh, okay. Like, the snowboarding halfpipe stuff, like, that was insane to watch. Like, did you watch that? No, I don't. I've hardly watched any. Oh like, my god! I don't like the way they delay everything, and you can see stuff on Twitter. It's just and it's the fact that it's like, you know, half the world away. I, it's just tough for me. I'm not like a big Olympic guy in general. Okay, so Ryan hates China. That's what we're hearing here. No, Olympic sports, winter Olympic sports. Like, I don't ski. I don't snowboard. So, I don't so I, I was always more of a winter Olympics guy than a summer Olympics guy. Um, I always found it more interesting. Um. Because a lot of it just looks like a game. Like when you're watching the bobsled, it's like, wow, that's like going down a water slide. That's that's super cool. Um, and it's just people in like a metal rocket just going down <laughs> a racetrack. Down a, uh, yeah. And it's like, where, where's the skill here? I have no idea, but this is really cool to watch. Um, but I'll even I'll watch the hell out of downhill skiing. Like I'll just watch that. And uh-huh. I'll I'll watch every single run. And I'll be like, oh. They missed their turn. That's that's not going to work. That Norwegian yeah, guy yeah. didn't uh, pull it off. Yeah, and and I was watching the um, the uh, slope style skiing. I don't, I don't know what slope style means. I have no idea. But like by the end of it, I'm like, oh, 
That sucker did not hold on oh, the rail. That down. they did not hold on the rail long enough. I just saw on Twitter like that the I think it's a gold medal game, I believe, like USA and Canada. And I think USA won last last time. I just saw it was gonna be live at eight PM. Like, perfect. I'll, I'll turn it on. You know, like it's like live. It's happening right now and it's it's us. It's a team sport that I watch and I know. So I'm like, oh, I'll watch that. Like but that's like I this is like maybe the first thing I've turned on. And it's so interesting. Twice. Hockey is like the thing that I, I maybe least care about in any facet of my life, what especially the, in the Olympics. Um no, I was watching some curling, dude. Like I was getting, I do like curling. I was getting into it. I um, do like curling. Um the strategy and the stuff that's like oh, yeah. it's well, crazy. It's, well it's 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 obviously not a sport in any real way. It it is like purely just like pool, but it's cool. It's fun. And we like won that last time too, I think. Like I think the men won, like beat Canada or something. And maybe. Like some of those things we shouldn't beat Canada in. Like we do that like as Canada should be in, you know, days, weeks of mourning if we beat them in a sport like that. Like something no. they invented or whatever. Like, well, it's it's all on their home turf of ice. <laughs> yeah, like <laughs> if it's on dirt or ice, like Canada should be good at it. Yeah, because you know? yeah. they got a lot of that. They got okay. a lot of dirt and ice. We're off the rails already at an AP. You know, and I offered to bring beer in, and David said no. Like, I, I'm way past my bed. Like I'm not kidding. Uh, I am past my bedtime. It right. is eight forty, and I am past my bedtime. Yeah. Uh, well, anyway, if you want to, because uh, it's the off season, we finished our off season reports. Now we got to make up shit to talk about every week. So uh, we got this week. It's going to be a little interesting. Uh, thanks to our buddy Shane, we're going to do our official postseason top ten POC listener rankings. So that should be a lot of fun. Shane sent in an email. We don't. All we got to do is read it, which is kind of some work, but not too much work. So that's okay. It's if, something we would have done anyway. <laughs> we would have read it anyway, but uh, now we're going to make a show out of it. Thanks, Shane. Uh, if you have any ideas, make make sure they're not too much work for us. We want you to put in more work that like people. Shane brings this up in the email too, but packedwellpodcast at gmail.com is the email address. Questions, whatever, uh, especially throughout the offseason. You can call or text us at 424-532-0678. You can tweet us at packedwellpodcast, and the website is packedwellpodcast.com. We're over on the Reddit, Podcast of Champions there, and on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please Follow us and rate us with five stars. And if you're on the Apple Podcasting app, that's what David cares about. Leave us a review and say something, you know, maybe not positive about us. And uh, we will still read it as long as it's a five-star review. That's what we want. We we beg for those five stars. Yeah, we have a new one. We have a new one? Oh, what do we it? got? Yeah. This is from S-S-I? I, I, so I, I don't know how to pronounce this. I'm going to put all cards on the table. E-S-A-I. I don't know how to pronounce that. Hmm. You don't know? Asai? Sure. Asai? I'll go with you on that. Chime in and tell me, because I'm an ignorant person. Uh, But Asai, G, uh, five stars. Five star CFB podcast. Awesome podcast. Both Dave and Ryan do a great job covering the Pac-12. Dave covers UCLA, but some recent openings on the Peristyle might be be the opening he needs to uh, join the rebuilding Death Star. Let's be honest. (laughs) Covering UCLA football is just watching them trying to give away Chip Kelly, then instead signing him to an extension. All jokes aside, this is a great podcast. Uh, in LFR, we trust and fight on. Oh, USC guy, he USC wants you, guy. he wants you to come work for. He wants me to come work for you for the Death Star. Yeah, yeah. You want to come over there? No, no. <laughs> uh, that would not be uh, not be uh, palatable for a variety of people. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, thank you for the review. We appreciate that. Um, did you? I got to finish uh, Boba Fett. I haven't finished. I'm, I I stopped after episode two, so I need to catch up. Yeah, yeah. There's only seven. I was like, it, it was kind of it 
felt like a pretty good finale for a seven, but I was like, I assume there's going to be eight, but then I looked it up. There's only seven. If your thing is going to add an end in an odd number, it needs to be thirteen. That's yeah, my not feeling seven. On it. Seven is it's too odd. Yeah. If it's five, it's a mini series, but seven, no. You, you you can get that number up. You can go to eight. There's a they do a like a Boba Fett like behind the scenes thing. It's like twenty one minutes on there on the Disney Plus, and uh, it's funny. I didn't realize this. Like Boba Fett's like a, a thing. Like it's a big. He was a big deal. He's a like you think. Oh, he's a huge character in Star Wars. Like he's in it for like a minute. Yeah, they show he has like four lines of dialogue. It's like he's he's worth more to me alive or something like that. Like like there's he's got like four lines. You know, he's hanging out with Darth Vader and stuff. Um, and from that, and I forget, it's like yeah, it's like ninety seconds of screen time or so. It's like really not that long. It becomes this huge, you know, phenomenon. So I mean, he was in in the later movies. They you know the the Django Fett stuff and all that, which you know there's some bad storylines, but I kind of like that. Like that he's you know he has his son and Boba's the son and. Mm-hmm. Yeah, whatever, but it was kind of cool. Sure. Yeah. Is it? I don't know. It's like, it's Star Wars-y. Yeah, it is. It's something. It's Star Wars-y. It's certainly something. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, some news around cultural ball, and we're going to get to the awards. I don't know if you saw the report today, uh, David, but so Big Ten, they just did their TV deal like five years ago. Got a crap load of money. Man, it's huge. So, Pac-12... Did that three billion dollar deal? It's twelve years gonna you know, and the Big Ten you know instantly passed it, then renegotiated, passed it again. Well, they're coming up on their next one, and apparently, the conference will make a billion dollars a year for TV money. So the Pac-12, Larry Scott was all proud of three billion over twelve years. The Big Ten's now doing one bill per year. It's a lot of money. Seems like a lot. It's a lot of money. We get it like how many male tuckers of the world? Like how how like, I mean, this it's probably not gonna go well. No, no, and uh the Pac 12s deal isn't up again for still yeah, still some years left on that sucker. Um yeah, there's a there's a there's certainly an arms race problem going on in college football. Um and I think uh at some point we're gonna get to a, a, a level where there's if if what these people pontificate about the health of the sport is correct, that you know you got to have a strong West Coast to actually have this be a national and not regional sport. Yeah, there's going to have to be some revenue sharing across conferences because there's no way this is sustainable. It's going to be tough, and I don't know if you've seen. Uh, I've listened to some different podcasts. So David Ubbin as uh, a national reporter for uh, the Athletic. I think he mm-hmm. used to cover. He might have used to cover Tennessee. He's now like a. Was just like a, a report, natural reporter for them. He wrote a story about the Tennessee Collective. So it's like a well-funded, well-organized NIL collective. So these people that have worked in like sports properties and things that have come together as a booster group, essentially raised like ten million dollars and distribute it to recruits, essentially. Like, hey, if you come to school here, you're gonna get this car, you're gonna get this apartment. And you have to show up for like their collective like autograph signing. So there's they got to do something. Um, it's pretty crazy. Like te- Texas has some sort of collective. Uh, Florida, they've been already documented. Um, they're gonna be popping up all over the place. I'm wondering. I, I it's hard for me to picture like that happening on the West Coast as much. Now maybe the strategy is gonna be like, hey, we're farther away, so it's gonna be tougher for you to like poach our guys. It's like 
you know, Stalin, like, you know, in Moscow, like, yeah, we're pretty far from you. Like, they're going to take a long, it's like, you got to march through the winter to get to us. Mm-hmm. By the time you get here, you're going to be pretty screwed up. You know, is it going to be like something like that? Like, that's our defense. Like, we're not going to like arm our soldiers, but by the time you get here, you're going to be really tired and, and you know, hungry and shit. So, I mean, I don't know. I don't see the Pac-12 doing that either. And that's going to be a huge arms race going on. Like, that's not school money. That's like booster money outside that you're 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 pulling together and say, here you go, recruits. This is what you're going to come and uh, and get when you're at our school. Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. Uh, there's going to the realities of this is um, it's impacting. I, I think the the combination of all of this hitting at the same time as COVID, I think, has been very um, sobering about what the Pac-12 is doing. You know, because I look at UCLA's situation and they're clearly. I always have been of the opinion that there is always money in the banana stand. Like, yeah, okay, they can't fire that guy, but they really can. And there's a donor out there who will come up with the money. Uh, UCLA is behaving, once again, very fiscally conservative. Uh Um, And I don't know how much of that is their budget situation, but I know the Pac-12 generally was not did not recover from COVID as easily and as well as other leagues. And for obvious reasons, the PAC 12 didn't allow fans back for the longest time, Um, you know, played fewer games than a lot of leagues. And so they didn't get as much TV money last year. And so I know the budget situations for a lot of the schools in the league are not great. And then you combine that with the lack of, um, you know, I I would say broadly speaking, there's no way there's going to be the NIL interest out here that there is in all of these other leagues, particularly the SEC. And then you compare that money because now that is a that's a major open and out there competitive disadvantage that before it was cheating money. I mean, it was the money that got spent by boosters to bring people in. And, you know, Pac-12 schools did that to a certain extent, but they weren't doing it at the level, at the frequency that, um, you know, some big 12 powers and the SEC were doing. Now that's all out there. It's open, and more people are going to get involved because it's out there and open. They don't feel like they're doing something shady. Combination of all of that is, I mean, there's there's a there's a immediate arms race that the Pac-12 has. It's not just that they're losing; it's that they've already lost it. Um, and I think the dealing with the realities of that and how it's going to impact um, things going forward, I, I do think it's for the health of the sport. It's eventually going to require some sort of revenue sharing. Otherwise, you truly will have kind of just have knots out here along with you know maybe some other minor schools in those leagues you're very subdued right now i'm tired man you're tired we do have an nil question a little bit later so we'll get into that more but yeah it's uh i've I've listened to a bunch of podcasts about it today actually and it's a little scary um people will probably come around and i think you're gonna have collectives like everywhere they're probably right. I think at some level they're also going to have to regulate it more than they currently do um, or they're going to feel the need. I don't think they have right. to, but I think they're going to feel the need to. Alabama got rid of their state law cuz like if you don't have a state law then the, the NCAA is like, well then you don't have to follow any rules except our our guardrails, like the stupid guardrails. Which guard don't exist have. basically. There's like a few things like yeah, you can't pay for play stuff like that. But Alabama's law that they passed where they were trying to help like Alabama and Auburn was a little more restrictive than so they got rid of it like literally just repeal it so like right. oh, we're getting rid of that yeah and I think uh, when you have amenable states that works um, yeah it's I mean it's a real wild time and the thing is I don't know if there's even as much institutional interest in doing that sort of thing like I think whether a UCLA or a I think USC will have some interest in doing it but like whether a UCLA or a Stanford or a Oregon as an institution wants to do it. 
it's a question of whether they can get enough boosters involved to make it work, to make it matter. Um, and yeah, Oregon's going to figure it out with Phil Knight. But um, what about the other schools in the league? The one interesting aspect was with this, uh, the collect the Tennessee one seems really well organized. Um, but it's not just, there's going to be some big money guys and there's people that have connections to local business and sports entity. Like it, it from, I read the article. I mean, it seems really well organized, but there's also an aspect of sort of like a GoFundMe thing where like, if you're a, I'm a booster, but I'm not like a billionaire booster or a millionaire booster, but I'll give 20 bucks a month and it's going to go towards players coming to Tennessee or, you know, and so fans can feel like they're getting involved and it becomes part of the collective. And the more people that give, the bigger the pot is. And if you're on a recruit that, you know, I don't know, Arizona state is trying to recruit this local kid and Tennessee wants them. And they're like, well, you come here and you get, you know, a six figure payout. You're like, okay, I'm gonna leave. Uh, I'm gonna leave the West Coast and go uh, play for in Knoxville. Um, well, and and you know, it's interesting. I think there's there's formats for that. I mean, I know the uh, like Premier League and a lot of um, professional soccer leagues. They have like official fan groups that you're like kind of paying money into, and you're like part of this thing. And I think you could do something very similar with college football, where you pay to be part of some sort of official fan group, and you get some sort of benefits from it. And maybe the benefits are literally the thing that you are forcing these players to do in exchange for all your money, but you pay into something, some fund like this collective and you just get back from it, a signed shirt or whatever. And that's what you're getting from it. Yeah. And you're part of this group. And but you if get... you also know that you're helping to build the team, right? right? Like you're... you're giving money to the, so I give, I'm donating to UCLA and like, Oh, okay. They're going to get new locker rooms or whatever. Like there's just, there's stuff they have to spend. Right. Cause like, it's a nonprofit, but you're like, well, and spending money every year and losing money and all that stuff like you're paying for that stuff this is where you could actually like hey man we need a quarterback i'm gonna help make them better by paying money well, and, they get the and this is the part that's really i think um why this is so interesting is it puts out in the open something that was always behind the scenes but because it is out in the open um what you're running into is so the sec wow all these things popped up overnight no, they didn't. <laughs> All this infrastructure has been in place for 10, 20, 30, 40 years to pay players. And now they're just able to do it out in the open. Well, for a school like UCLA, um, yeah, UCLA has paid players over the years. Of course, every school does. Um, and every school does it for in different sports and the whole thing. I mean, you know, there were, there were players paid at UCLA basketball and certainly some football players. But not to the extent the SEC did. And it was a one-off. Like this guy here, that guy there. Uh, not like what the SEC is doing. Um, and so the infrastructure isn't in place to do this, and there isn't a booster base that's devoted to it. And I think this is the more important point because yeah. for UCLA to suddenly develop a huge and robust NIL system, it almost has to cannibalize a little bit of its existing booster base. So these these people who are funding buildings and funding capital campaigns and funding... Um, whatever private jets for the coaches to go recruit you're suddenly going to ask them for more money or are you going to ask them to reallocate money um and, and that's schools a, aren't going to like that too because the athletic department wants their money right and ucla and being a cash-strapped institution right now can't afford to they don't want to siphon off donations to something else but it's it's something that they need you know well to and get this players is where on. Yeah. and this is where i i run into the issue which is you've always got to be future thinking and it's hard for people who are in jobs where they have a contract to be future thinking like i'm 
well, okay, but I need to show performance in the next two or three years or else I'm out of here. So yeah. how do I do that while also being future thinking? Yeah. Uh, we'll get into more NIL stuff in the question. Uh, wanted to talk. Uh, we got some. Hold on. We got some. Uh, breaking news. It looks like Chip Kelly searched <laughs> far and wide. Uh, and said, he found somebody who used to be his linebackers coach. We're get the best position coach possible. Someone that, that you know, people didn't like Jerry Azanero. So I assume this guy has no ties to him. Uh-huh. Uh, it's not like his friend or that the guy that introduced them to chip Kelly, right? Like no one like that. Right. I assume this is an outside hire. There's just, you know, just probably been a defensive coordinator in college the last 10 years or so. No, or, no, no. And no, <laughs> wait, what? So tell me about what's going Bill on. Bill McGovern. Okay. 61. Uh, was last uh, defensive coordinator, I believe with Boston college, uh, I think 2012, 2012. So that's a decade ago. A so. decade ago. And he wasn't good. <laughs> wasn't good there. Um, does he have a tie to Chip Kelly and Jerry Azanero? Oh, you betcha. You betcha. He was uh, Chip Kelly's outside er, outside linebackers coach with the Eagles. Um, yeah, it's a really uninspired hire. It's very bad. Uh, people were counting on this one to be like the, the one that was going to shift things and turn the tide for Chip Kelly. And this is crap. If you had to pick someone that was like, as like, if you didn't really get rid of Jerry Eisenhower, like this he... is the closest thing to rehiring okay, Jerry Eisenhower. That's what I was saying. Which I don't get it. Like coaches can be so damn stubborn. Like literally, I'm going to do things just to spite you because you don't think I could. Like, is this like Chip Kelly? I did not want to fire him. You've made me, and I'm going to just redo it. Like that's what I. I mean, honestly, if I were him, I think that's what he's like. That would be my thing. That would be the only reason I would make this hire. Um, no, I mean, it's, it does nothing to inspire the fan base. It does nothing to inspire to season ticket sales. It does nothing to get people positive about the season. And frankly, I don't think it's going to do a whole lot positive for the defense. Like, I don't think it's a good hire. Um, there's nothing in his track record to indicate it's a good hire. Um, you could, I mean, as with anything, you can have hope. I mean, why not? Yeah. But no, I mean, there's nothing to indicate that this is anything other than what it looks like, which is a dud hire um, where he just went back through his Rolodex and found um, the most recent guy who looks kind of like Jerry as an arrow. That was it. I got I didn't realize that this the hire like that you guys reported this like earlier. Yeah. And I got an email from somebody that just like a USC fan that was emailing me about something else. It was like, oh, by the way, make sure you talk to Dave about, you know, the you still I'm like, I didn't even know that happened. Like, oh, OK, it happened. Then I looked them up. And I'm like, oh, I'm like. That's I didn't expect that. Like I expected something a little bit more. I don't know. There's a little more teeth to it. Well, I mean, when you can hire a guy who's been a defensive coordinator twice for a total of five years and he's 61 to be your defensive coordinator in your make or break year, why wouldn't you? I always look at like the last jobs, like you know when you're like, oh, where was he? He was a he was an inside linebackers coach. Like it wasn't. Oh, but 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 he he was a defensive assistant at Nebraska. I love it when they don't actually have a title associated with you. You're just a defensive assistant. So okay, so he did work. Okay, so Nebraska is obviously a blue blood program. I so I don't I don't follow them lately, but I assume they're good. I remember they like won championships and stuff before. I'm gonna fight you. He uh, he was an analyst though, so it wasn't like good enough to be like on. Scott Frost, like staff, as a a full on assistant. But that makes, I mean, he learned under the best. Yeah, because um, he's. I'm sure he's done done really well at Nebraska. So, um, uh, if you go through it, I mean, they, have they won it? I don't know. Okay, I right. will fight you. Um, <laughs> he was at Boston College forever. 
he was like their linebackers coach forever. And then he was uh, four years as their coordinator. And then he must have done such a really good job that he got uh, into the NFL after that. Did he yeah. get into the NFL as a coordinator? No, no, he didn't. <laughs> Did he get into the NFL as like a pure linebackers coach? No, also not. Did he get in there as an outside linebackers coach? Yes, yes, he did. For Chippy, um, and then was linebackers coach with the Giants. Was linebackers coach again with the Giants. I don't know why it's listed twice. And then he was in linebackers coach with the Bears, uh, sandwiched around that defensive assistant assignment at Nebraska. Uh, so yeah, really uninspired. Who knows? Things can change, and maybe he's going to be very good. Um, but there is absolutely zero in his track record to indicate that that's the case. All right. Well, we'll follow along with that one. Uh, UCLA's got their DC. Uh, Please don't. Just ignore UCLA football. Ignore it until it starts acting right. Uh, Treasure portal due today, too? Yeah. Uh, starting defensive end, uh, Mitchell Agude, uh, elected to go into third the string, Third string? Third no, string? Like... No. Starter. Oh, okay. Starter. Starter. Best pass rusher. Uh, oh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he decided he was he had enough of this um and he's moving on okay um yeah i mean transfers like just gonna happen they're just gonna be yeah it just it just happens it just happens i mean it happens all over the place but like you obviously i don't know well yeah and i mean especially for programs that have decided to pivot to building entirely through the transfer portal yeah it totally happens it's no big deal uh at least he's got his extension, you know, and like you can. Yeah, at least he's got that, so you know, yeah, you can really uh, build around stability. that whole thing. Okay, well, let's move on to our topic of the day. Um, we got so Shane's not really an official part of the podcast, but I guess he is. But he usually puts out his. We post- split. The, we split the revenue with him. Yeah, he gets all zero dollars. Uh, postseason top ten rankings. I'm wearing a bunch of jockey stuff, by the way. I'm wearing jockey underwear. I got like these pants. Hold on, look. Oh wow, they're like pajama pants, but they're they're actual. They look like pajama pants, but they're like comfy. I put them on yesterday. Aren't like, aren't pajama pants comfy? Yeah, uh, they're good okay. though. No, I'm, I've been wearing I'm happy. around. We've had like crappy weather. Like I've been wearing them around, and this is like a jockey hoodie I got. So uh, thanks to jockey. So yeah, and uh, our buddy Tom's gonna be there at the uh, Pac-12 basketball tournament. So we got to let them know. Um, but Shane puts this list out. So uh, it's, you know, it's one of those long emails, but it's a postseason team, you know, report for us. And we call it the official top 10 because we're not going to come up with our own. So, we so just, Shane supplies it. Right. And so we just, if it's unofficial, but as soon as we get it, it's officially official. It's official. So that's the topic today. So these are like, the best, and there's some honorable mention people too. Uh, you know, the best people that are contributors in some way, yeah, to the podcast of champions. I love it. It's uh, should, a really good list. So sh- should we begin? Yeah. Do you want to? We can take turns. Like yeah, I love numbers. It. Do you want to start? Well, so the, should we read his preamble first? Yeah, yeah. Let's okay. Do it. Uh, <clears throat> the official postseason top ten rankings. Uh, David, David, send Ryan for beers. We're doing this. No turning back. During bowl season, Chris and NC wrote in apologizing for his long emails, claiming he would do better in the future. I will do no such thing. But somebody has to listen to every episode and document an official record of the season's contributors, right? Right? So now that we're done with postseason team reports, here it is, back by minimal demand, the official 2021, 2021, <laughs> Kevin M. Hogan, Podcast of Champions, postseason top 10 rankings. 
This is just like the podcast for champions. To call it 2021, we are in February of 2022. But I think it's like from the previous. Yeah, yeah, but year. but to wait, but to be like 40 days into a year and doing a, a 2021 oh, yeah. wrap up. But that I love is, how that is Chef's kiss. The Kevin M. Hogan, like he gives it the Stanford name, like it's yes, awesome. It's yeah. it's gorgeous. Um, all right, so we're gonna start off with the others receiving votes. I'll I'll read these, and then we'll get into the alternate. Okay. All right, others receiving votes. The Zodiac Killer. He will always be all right now by the band Free Guy, yet he spent the better part of this season using up his monthly phone call to dial a podcast <laughs> voicemail through a scuba tank to sing Sir Mix-a-Lot and Rolling Stone songs. Do better at life. Uh, Shane, uh, there's another person named Shane somewhere, and this, se- uh, and this season he wrote in at least once asking you to, quote, rank things. Shane, that's not how this works. Don't ask them to do work. Just rank the things yourself and send them in. These guys will read anything you write, even if it's an arduously long list insulting their contribution to their own podcast. Yeah. And then finally, Ryan. I'm, I'm, uh, I've received votes. You're an other receiving votes. Yeah. You didn't make the cut for the top. 10. I did not. No. Uh, okay. On to the real contenders and valued contributors, the top 10. So number 10 is Chris in NC. Usually I can't stay on long listener emails that force us to indulge their inane drivel, but Chris in NC is great. Yeah. Uh, Chris in NC, I believe he will also win the uh, newcomer of the year award. Oh, uh, because I want to say are we adding stuff to this. Are we doing our own work like that? Doesn't that seems well, off brand? Uh, it's just I'm remembering him and I don't think we saw him before. God, you're look, I'm taking everyone behind the curtain. Ryan's computers here are just frustratingly so. And I'm just I fed up with the equipment that he provides me. Just fed up. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Chris is uh, he was new to the pod this year. OK, so he was new in October. What was his? What like what do you remember one of his emails or what was the uh his had some good uh he was going through Khan Academy, he was doing some funny stuff. Um he had so he had a philosophical bent with some of the stuff he was doing. Okay. Um he uh he did a critique of pure fandom. I mean, there was a lot of good stuff from Chris this year. Um he was originally calling himself the ghost of Bru- Bruins past, but he dropped that. Um good stuff. All right. Uh, you make, I can keep going, I guess. Uh, Ryan, number nine, Ryan Gorsey. Uh, one time he said 2017 Cal would win 10 games. So he'll have a place on this list forever. He's the dark side of the moon of this top 10 list. That record was on the billboard chart for like 25 years because people will get stoned and listen to any old nonsense as long as it's packaged well. If you time up, if you time up dark side of the moon to the Cal TCU cheese it bowl, but. <laughs> Money starts playing as soon as Cal throws their fifth interception. Hey, speaking of being totally stoned all the time. So Ryan Gorsey, the man, the myth, the legend. They went five and seven the year he predicted that they would go ten and two. Yes. Incredible. Right. Incredible. And I love that Shane keeps him on this list. <laughs> well, because I remember at the time, and this was back when our listenership was, I think, only two or three people instead of seven to eight. Yeah. Um, there was there was conversation on multiple message boards about Ryan's performance. I'm not going to call it an appearance. Performance on okay. the show. It was top tier. Ryan Gorsey. Wow. Dearly missed. Yeah, Dearly uh, missed. We love Ryan. Um, but yeah, he, you know, he was a little bullish on some of the cow stuff. He, he was the man. Yeah. The man. Absolute yeah. man. Um, all right. Next up, we've got eight. Evan in Tempe. He might be my favorite person. Legitimately love what he brings to the show. 
Stony Evan is earnest and real. <laughs> we need more of that. He's graduating soon, and like all ASU graduates, he'll be returning to LA and resuming his USC fandom. Great work on your study abroad season, Evan. Like all ASU, stu- ASU students, he'll be returning to LA to resume his USC fandom. That's so awesome. That's so good. <laughs> and it's very true. Is is uh, Evan uh, like an edible guy or is he like balls? I think he's a bowl. He's a bowl guy. A bowl you guy, you yeah. can hear it in his voice. <laughs> Evan, I, if we're disparaging you, please let us know. Yeah. He's got he's got a voicemail today too. So. Yeah. Uh, okay. Hithliday. Uh, he's great in those football things and I like having him around. But dude. If I wanted to hear about college football coaching and rosters, I w- would I be listening to this podcast? No. Send your football questions to the gambling uh, analytics podcast that spends the first three minutes boasting about how they won't bribe you to write podcast reviews. We're, we're above that here. <laughs> we, we will bribe you. Yes. We are not above bribery. <laughs> we choose this podcast because we're ad- all adult men and two women that like Utah who want an outlet where we can conceive other like-minded adult convince other like-minded adult men and two women that like Utah that they should watch Wreck-It Ralph too. <laughs> Sorry, I'm laughing too much to get through this one. It's so good. Yeah, um, Hit the Day will always have a place on this list. Yeah, he's like, um, what was the one, the the analytics one? Like, the, that's probably the one he's talking about. Um, they mention Hit the Day a lot. Like, he's, 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 I guess he makes the rounds on some well, of these. And here's, here's something very interesting. Who in today's internet is actually able to maintain a pseudonym and like be, be found in multiple different places? Like, yeah, you're on podcasts, you're, you're posting on SB Nation, you're all over the place. Oh, does he post on there? Pure pseudonym. It's incredible. Yeah, that's, that's, and I mean, choosing one from some like obscure bit of fiction. It's just great. I mean, if like, I feel like we could, if we cared a lot, we could, but, I don't know. I don't care. Like, I mean, I, I someone yeah. wanted the like some someone wanted like the little or, Oregon, uh, and I was like, you have to, I need an actual picture of Hitler. Day. They wanted the or <laughs> there was like Oregon uh, keychain things, like the underwear for jockey. Send I said, pics. I'll send you one. I need an actual pic of Hitler Day. We need pics. And he was not doing it. So no, I can't imagine. Yeah, uh, but Hitler Day, the man. Um, all right, number six, Jake Hayner. This podcast only has like six jokes, and Jake Hayner is personally responsible for keeping the lights on for two of them. You guys may forget now, but for like three weeks, we were burdened with insufferable frontrunner David Woods, a dreadful character, suddenly boastful about UCLA football. Who fixed it single-handedly? Jake Hayner. We were poised to head into another year without a Jake in the quarterback room at UW. Who almost fixed it single-handedly? Jake Hayner. When somebody writes an email asking you to discuss each of the Pac-12 quarterback rooms and the two of you can't remember the actual names of players on actual rosters, who named it, whose name did you come back to? Old Steady, Jake Hayner. Godspeed, <laughs> you beautiful Jake. That's so true. Do you remember, was that last week when we were painfully trying to remember the names of quarterbacks in this very league and right. we named Jake Hayner, who actually didn't transfer to Washington? <laughs> I think we realized he didn't. Transfer. No, we did, and we said that in real time. But I think, like literally, I said, Jake Hayner, who's actually not going to Washington, but I don't know who else to have on roster. Right, Damon uh, Heward. No, the other Heward. What's his name? Sam. Sam. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, when you have like quarterbacks leaving, you know, if, do I got to keep track of some kid? Well, that was so I have. State so you're telling me I've got to I've got to find Jaden Delora. I've got to keep track of him. Right. It's got to go. Where's Waldo? What the hell? I don't want to do that. Yeah. He's small. He's he's not that big. <laughs> Uh, that was a good one. Okay. Five, the one Colorado guy who said this podcast parrots too many mainstream media takes. Oh, this should be good. 
This is exactly the kind of midseason comment that gets overlooked and forgotten forever, but we should celebrate this crazy-ass take from Colorado guy. Just look at the conference's single biggest storyline of 2021 for evidence. Mainstream media. USC has a top-five job and should pursue Matt Campbell or Luke Fickle and maybe take a run at Lincoln Riley. This podcast. USC lacks talent and should just... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> reanimate the decaying bones of John Robinson, who is definitely dead. Then should exhume his corpse, throw some sunglasses on it, and have Lori Laughlin pay off her community service debt by dancing around with his dead flesh on the sidelines a la Weekend at Bernie's. Either that or Jack Del Rio. <laughs> Colorado guy, you popped your head out of the sand once this season, and while the rest of our community may have forgotten you, like an elephant or a car bumper in 20, uh, 2002, I never... Forget top five POC performance, elite work, you you goofball. Love it, love it. I don't remember that, but I I, I kind of remember someone like like complaining about <laughs> yes. that we're too mainstream. Like, what? Like, Are you listening to this? <laughs> like, okay. Coming in at number four, <clears throat> David Woods. Oh. Like Florida State in the 90s, uh, Davis spent every week of this poll's existence in the top five. This fake poll that I made up and only I care about is one of those is one of this weird podcast's most storied arbitrary biannual activities, and David continues to show he's one of this podcast's five most respected names. I like it. Uh, where do I rank? You're four. Where do you rank? I'm uh, getting votes. Yeah. yeah. Are, they, are, are they more votes than me? No, less votes. Yeah, fewer votes. Yeah. Fewer votes. For sure. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm. This is I'm, official. I'm, I'm, you, you're, you're the one who made this official. It's too. official. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm sort of glad where I am on the list. I think it, it makes sense. I'm just, I'm just glad that somebody is finally recognizing my um, importance to the show, mm-hmm. how integral I am to the entire process from start to finish, from conceptualizing all the way through production and disseminating. Yeah. Uh, all right. Number three, <laughs> the number of goals we're down to Canada. This game, hockey's so hard. Like skating, like. Doing a sport on skates, on ice. Like, that's just like, it's like, okay, okay, I'm going to play baseball, but you're going to be on fire. Like, you know, like, there's like, I, I he's went, like adding a level of complexity. So you know? I, um, just share you a deep, dark story from my childhood. I never mastered skating at any level. No, I wasn't very good either. I couldn't do it. I could not. Like, I, the, the idea of rolling on the ground, like, like, I'm talking about like roller skates, okay, roller yeah. blades. I couldn't do that. Couldn't handle it. Couldn't handle like the movement. Like it's counterintuitive. You got to push your legs instead of stepping. No. Yeah. And then I tried going uh, ice skating one time, like ten years ago. Fell so so fucking hard. <laughs> I've never fallen so hard so many times in like a quick span. And I was like, finally at the end, I was just that dude hanging on to the wall. Yeah. And I was just like, no, nah, I'm, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not letting go of this wall again. No. Yeah. I was okay at the ice skating, not great, but better than like roller skating. But we would. Growing up in like New England, like you could go on little ponds and like skate and stuff like in the winter. You couldn't do that here, probably. We did have hail though. There was hail in like Pasadena. That looked cool. Um, and plus, if you go to like a skate thing and like you want to try to flirt with a girl, you could fall down in front of her and stuff and you know, she can help you up. Yeah, but what if you can't get up and then you just pull her down too? Yeah, well, then I don't know, make out with her on the skating ice. I don't know. You're probably, just probably cold not doing and that. Fucking fr- freezing to the ice. Yeah. <laughs> My uh, my niece is 16. She plays ice hockey because her her my uh, brother in law he plays he played grew up playing hockey. So she's like, I go watch her games and stuff. It's pretty cool. That's great. All right. Anyway, number three, John Abrea. This man has made me question the nature of fandom itself. Is it okay to switch sides of a rivalry midseason and abandon your inner truth? Can you just become an Arizona Wildcats fan? Hell yeah, you can. Let's do it. 
All of us. <laughs> no, no. Okay, we're all doing it. Now that we're in agreement that we're all Arizona remember, fans. remember for just a second that uh Shane is a self-loathing Washington fan, as I am a self-loathing UCLA fan, and as John is a self-loathing USC fan. So yes, let's all just all, adopt another team. He says so now that we're in agreement that we're all Arizona fans, here's the top five memorable Arizona Wildcat games. This is not a joke. We're all rooting for Arizona now. So Number five is 1998 Washington, the Ortega, uh, Ortega Jenkins flip. What is that? What's it? Do you remember that Dunham. one? I kind of remember that. Uh, number four was 2007, beating number two Oregon 34 24, the Dennis Dixon game. Is that the one Dixon got hurt? I think it was the one where he got hurt and then UCLA shut them out the next week. Okay. Number three, 1992, Washington defeating. Number one, Washington, 16-3. to three, That ended a 22-game win streak for UW. That's a pretty good one. Uh, number two, 1994, Fiesta Bowl, Arizona, 29, Miami, 0. Desert Swarm. That was pretty Desert Swarmy. And then number one, the uh, 86 Territorial Cup, the Chuck Cecil game. Again, not a joke. This is useful information for all of us new as, as new Arizona fans. Love it. So good. Uh, this is from DC in LA. This is number two. So next up, number two, DC in LA. Danny's original self-promotional podcast review that doubled as a retail commercial for jockey underwear was a game changer. The first of its kind. It was the moment our Skynet became (laughs) self-aware and reviews replaced emails as our primary form of listener input output. But the foundation for Danny's shining moment was laid by another trailblazer. Nice. Wow, yeah, that was that was, and a couple of people tried to mimic it, and they did a pretty good job, but right. uh, incredible. But he was the first one to come yeah. out and openly campaign for like free underwear. Well, and it was also, I think, he wrote the the review as us reading it. Yeah, so we had to do it. <laughs> yes, <laughs> so we. <laughs> it was beautiful. It was very good. Uh, number so leads us to another trailblazer. Number one, the marketing guy at Jockey. Was there any doubt as who would be powerful enough to unseat Bree the intern <laughs> at number one? I should talk to Bree. She might have graduated by now. I don't know. We should get her back on the show. We could, yeah. See what she's doing. Uh, what a bit of proud program of self-deprecating indifference and animal sound effects, followed by an hour of listener emails contrasting Robert E. Lee and Clay Helton, both Caucasian heroes, accompanied a horse named Traveler to a few early wins. And then spent years surviving <laughs> in retreat. Both pissed away resource advantages, wasted countless lives, and are cheered on by a small handful of lunatics in rural Georgia. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking awesome. <laughs> That's so good. For three, <laughs> uh, for three straight months, I can't even see. For three straight months in 2021, this program was transformed into an hour of podcast reviews begging for underwear, followed by a short program of self-deprecating indifference of and animal sound effects, thanks in large part to this one man. Bear down <laughs> to keep up the work. Your friend, compatriot, and new Arizona fan, Shane. We gotta do that. I'm like literally crying. Really kind good. Of. It was really good. Um, the yeah, rural we- Georgia one, like, you know, like where Clay Helton's now coaching, it's just like <laughs> So good. <laughs> oh man! Well, well, our friend at Jockey, just a tremendous, tremendous. Tom, man. yeah. Tom, Tom from Jockey is incredible. Mm. We're gonna see him at the Pac-12 tournament. The Pac-12 tournament. Uh, just 
you know, does everyone know? we got some more uh I know you were shocked I went to the USC Oregon game, basketball game. And uh, uh I'm gonna go to the Pac twelve basketball tournament. And so will I. Yeah. So I asked David if he was going, he didn't respond, but he apparently told me before that he was. Yeah, I sure did. Uh, My memory know, of this is correct. It's really difficult correct. to just say yes when I send you a text message, or you just don't answer. I mean, sometimes it is. Did you even ask me a question? I think you just told me you were, and I I, I acknowledge that in the peace and quiet of silence. Um, you said, here, I'm going to go back through it. Hang on, hang on. I think I asked you if you were going. Uh, no, you said, I'm going to Pac-12 tournament. 8.31 a.m. Monday. Nothing else except for can you record tomorrow afternoon. Okay. Soon thereafter. Which then you didn't respond to I didn't either. respond to it for a while. Right. Uh, but nonetheless, we are both going to Las Vegas Yes. for the Pac-12 tournament. The question we have for you, the listener, is uh, are any of you going? And if so, uh, do we want to meet up? We could do a little meet up. We could do a little meet up. And if not, Ryan and I could just drink in a bar by ourselves. We could do that too. Um, I assume UCLA is going to be out early, right? So you won't have to work as much or whatever. Or I'll fight you. Okay. Um, um, who knows the way they're playing? Maybe they'll be there on Wednesday, and I'll be you know drunk as a skunk for four straight days. Who knows? Nice. I had people. I had interns covering the USC UCLA game at Galen. Now I was in Vegas having dinner, watching. Well, actually, with a bunch of like diehard UCLA. There was some USC fans. But some diehard UCLA fans, like season ticket holders for basketball and stuff, they were not happy at the uh, at that hoops game. No, no, it was not an enjoyable experience. It was not a fun game to watch. But uh, and you not caring, saying, "Oh, mm-hmm. <laughs> I was just happy because like I had a I had someone filming like highlights. I had a you know they were gonna do an instant analysis. I had a student from the newspaper that was gonna like write up a story like." No one's going to watch these highlights if they lose. So I was happy they won because then, you know, people watch it. There are people watch it. Yeah. Yeah. So that was good for me. Where I think that made it worse for the people that really cared about the game that were UCLA fans. I was like, hey, it's cool. Like they're going to watch my videos now. Like, you know, because I didn't really care who won, but whatever. Okay. So I was like, hey, someone's going to watch the video. What's great is that's not even like a commentary on you not, you being or not being a fan of USC. It's more just a commentary on every USC person's treatment of basketball, which is, I don't really care. Oh, they won? Great. Who cares? How did they beat UCLA five times in a row? Like that's just... Yeah, I know. That's that's <laughs> that's fun. It's great. We love it. UCLA is actually good. Well, now. and it, the interesting part is like for a lot of UCLA fans, like I think it's because of the like workplace things, they're really angry about it. Like way angrier than they were about losing to Arizona the second time. And I'm like, look, you want, losing to USC in basketball is like it's not great. I think it means, you know, you've got some issues because you shouldn't be losing. No Evan USC. Mobley, though. That was the thing. <laughs> Isaiah Mobley. I'm sorry. The yeah, guy who's Isaiah currently Mobley. on your team uh, right. that you cover. No, it's so funny. For- I was I was listening to – I don't listen to, like, the uh, the no truck stops one for basketball, but I listened to one, uh, and he kept saying – I forget. I think it was Carlos who kept saying, like, Evan instead of Isaiah Mobley. And I, he said it, like, over and over and over again. Like, they would correct him, and he said it again and again. It was pretty funny. Great. So, Carlos, um, I think it was Carlos, who, who actually watches uh, Pac-12 football, is screwing it up as much as you do, who doesn't watch it a bit. Right. That's so, I, I feel like um, I only screwed it up once, yeah. Yeah, there you go. But anyway, we're going to be there. But we're going to be there. We'd love to do a meetup. Um, we've done one, like, for at a bar where we, like, recorded. I don't think we're going to be recording. I, I don't want to record a live show. No, I think it would just be, like, let's meet up and, you know, we could potentially meet up at a sports book and watch one of the games or something or just not have it be part of a game you know 
you know, drink heavily. And- yeah. I, I like to do that. I just came back from Vegas for Super Bowl. Um, and I was like, I'm going to go back. And then I might go back the following weekend for the, you know, the first weekend of the Pac-12 tournament and play golf with some guys. So, And then go back the following weekend and watch the uh, first round of the NCAA tournament there. No, I, no, I mean, that's what I'm saying. I'm going to go, oh. yeah, like the first round. That's at the next week, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I would, some friends are going to go play golf and stuff. And they like, I think you could go to the Cosmo for like 300 bucks. And it's like a all you can eat kind of thing for a while, like on Friday or something or Thursday. I would do something like that. But let's do for the Pac-12 tournament. Some sort of meetup, maybe like a Friday, you know, yeah. uh, maybe not really associated with the game. So no one has to work or anything or, yeah. Uh, but if it was like, say like Arizona was playing Washington and we didn't have to like cover anything, like that'd be kind of cool. We could watch that or whatever, but I don't know. Let's do it. We'll, we'll, do we'll it. figure so, it out. So uh, either tweet us or email us and let us know, Hey, you're going to go. Um, Love to meet up. We'll kind of get a list going and pick a time and and just go do it. It'd be amazing. All right. Why don't we take a quick break and we'll come back and do questions. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. All right, we're back here on the podcast of champions. Uh, let's see. Do you want me to do a voicemail first? I would love it if you did a voicemail first. Here we go. First. What's going on, guys? Evan from Tempe. Uh, I called a couple weeks ago. You guys ended up not playing the voicemail, but I wanted to ask again. Um, so I'm thinking about it. And uh, so I've been watching college football since 2006. And um, in my opinion, Herm Edwards is the most overrated overrated recruiter I've ever seen. Um He's touted as an elite recruiter, still is, by the way. For some reason, he's still defended. And he's turned out the recruiting class of number 24, number 28, number 52nd, and number 106. Uh, I don't know how you are an elite recruiter and you're just so great and all this stuff when those are your recruiting classes. There's not a single good class in there. And for those last two, he was cheating his ass off the whole time. And he still managed the 52nd and 106 class. So is Herm Edwards the most overrated recruiter since 2006? I certainly think so. Uh, I think you guys have some opinions on this. I think you guys would actually agree with me. So uh, thank you guys. Peace. I mean, I think it's hard to judge him as a recruiter and what we've seen the last two seasons because you had the scandal. And so, like, I think that's made it so you couldn't really recruit. I think your hands were tied. Like, I, they might have had good classes if they didn't get busted. 
but it screwed up the 2021 and then 2022 like no one no one knew what was going to go happen it's like it was really hard to recruit for that one i don't know what do you think yeah i tend to agree um i think it i don't know if the jury's out but i don't think there's a whole lot you can glean from the last two now did he put himself in a position to be a good recruiter the last two cycles no no he did uh, not. no um so uh, maybe there's something to that but i mean recruiting in the top 30 at asu is not it's not great but it's not horrible i mean that's about i think that's about par for what asu typically does yeah it's got potential to recruit better than that but um that's about par so i don't think he's some great recruiter but fine not horrible but it's sort of like it's just he shouldn't have been arizona state's head coach no no that's the, i mean it's like you're you're kind of you're nitpicking about the recruiting or whatever. Like it just this this was an experiment that didn't work. And it worked better than we thought in the very beginning. Um, for sure. Like it was a kind of a surprise, like, oh, okay. He doesn't know what a Sun Devil is, but you know, maybe he can get this right and, and do some things that that work. And it seemed like it was much more positive than what I anticipated, but you know. At the end of the day, it's like this wasn't the right choice to be your head coach. It's got to end sometime soon, and I don't know what it's going to happen. But I, I, I mean, I don't know if he's. Over, I don't know anyone's saying like he's this great recruiter. Like I don't. I've never said that. I mean, people have talked about like you know he'd be good in the living rooms and stuff, which is fine. But like this is, you got to sell the whole package. Or right now, there's just a lot of damage to this package. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we'll do the other one. Hey, what's up, guys? It's Burke. Um, I'll try and keep this one as clear and concise uh, as possible. But, um, you know, it seems like with the last year and a half in both football and basketball, it sounds like the it seems like the Pac-12 is on a, a positive trajectory. Uh, it sounds like a lot of people are really putting that that positive trajectory and associating it with just hiring the, the new commissioner. Um, and to me, I don't necessarily buy that. I think it's more so that uh, the two best basketball programs in UCLA and Arizona finally – uh, taking things seriously again and hired a new coach and same thing with USC and football. They, you know, they went out and got Lincoln Riley and I think they're going to be a formidable program again. And um, by all means, I'm not, I'm not saying that Larry Scott was a good commissioner. I, I know that he, um, you know, messed up uh, a lot of things, specifically the TV deal, but I'm wondering looking at things now and in the future, uh, do you think it's that he's really been blamed with more than he should have in terms of uh, the Pac-12 physical performance over the last decade? Uh, thanks, guys. Uh, yeah, Perk, it's a good question. I was of that theory um, that uh, people pin too much on the commissioner. That's really the fault of the schools, and I tend to still be of that opinion. I do think, coupled with that, Larry Scott was also a bad commissioner. Um, I think his theory about the Pac-12 network, his approach to the Pac-12 network, the deals he negotiated, the philosophy with which he negotiated, and generally his management style and all these other factors were just generally bad. Um, so I think there were impacts that he made, but I think you're right. Um, USC behaved like a big boy, like the big boy it should be, um, in their hiring of Lincoln Riley, uh, UCLA, um, yeah, had a long and involved coach search process that resulted in Mick Cronin, which I think, um, in retrospect, that was getting a high floor hire, you know, somebody who's going to win. It's just a question of whether he's going to win at an elite level, but that again is, that's better than hiring Steve Alford. Um, and then Arizona went out and did a thing that took a little bit of um, 
a little bit of courage. They went out and hired a career assistant um, for their premier basketball job, but a really, really well-regarded one and one that a lot of people were talking about for a long time as potential elite head coach, and they went out and got him. And now it looks like that's what they're going to get. They're going to get an elite coach that could be there for a long, long time. So you have the two premier basketball programs behaving, once again, like the premier basketball programs, and you do have the premier USC you know, football brand once again behaving that way um and those are those are really good things we just need to see the results you know arizona ucla go win a national title in basketball uh usc go make a playoff um and if you can do that within the next couple of years uh then you can start to say okay uh the pac-12 is going to write its ship because the premier brands are performing that way again yeah i still think larry scott's terrible because we already talked about the top of the show the 12-year deal, <laughs> yeah. that was just, like, you're, I mean, the fact that the Big Ten's going to make a billion dollars now, like, there's, that's how you do it. Like, the Big Ten did it the right way. Yes, are the fan bases more rabid? And, but they could have screwed it up and not been, you know, the ACC is okay, and they've screwed it up. Like, they signed some huge, long deal. There's conferences that are doing well, and they're going to take advantage of the resources they have available. Like, you got to do an even better job if you're the Pac-12. And you did a worse job. You did it so you could win the press conference nine years ago. Well, you're still paying for it. The Big Ten's going to have three deals during your one deal. like, And that just means renegotiate, renegotiate, make more money, all of that. So, yeah, I, I think he's still terrible. I think the fact that it's not on DirecTV, I mean, you basically missed the cable window. Like when cable was big, you could have been part of it. And now cable's not as big anymore. So you have to wait. You can renegotiate and get on cable when – no one needs to get on cable anymore. So it, there's just, yeah, a lot of bad decisions. Yep. All right. Um, next up, we have a email from William. Podcast ideas. Gentlemen, my email already lacks credibility with that salutation. Oh, well. I'm a regular listener, and I look forward to your podcast every week. In response to your request for some show ideas, I would like to suggest a deep dive on the rules and the practice of NIL deals. I know the subject matter is opaque and rapidly evolving, but it is clear that this is having a major impact on our beloved college sports landscape, and the rumors and speculation by the fans are wild and devoid of facts. I broke the topic into, quote, rules and, quote, practice, since we know that there will be a big gap between the two, given this is the land of high-integrity college sports. If the subject of practice is too sprawling, perhaps an in-depth analysis of one or two programs and UCLA, Bruins fan here, but a survey of Pac-12 versus SEC would work. I think the obvious concern of any fan base is to understand how we stand in comparison to our competition. This could be a related topic or another show, but some explanation of the next round of TV deals at the conference and CFP levels would be helpful. Bruin fans are regularly talking about whether or not UCLA plays or will play, quote, big boy football. I think the next round of TV deals for the Pac-12, SEC, and CFP will decide if we are in or out of, quote, big boy football. And if this sounds like too much work and true podcast of champion style, you can just wing it, guess, and pontificate. Thank you. Uh, thanks for the email, William. Um, we talked some NIL stuff earlier on. Um, I mean, the, the weird thing is, you know, they have the NCAA has their guardrails or whatever, right? Like you're not supposed to be able to pay for recruits. So like pay a recruit to come to your school, but you're allowed to pay players and you just need a deliverable. So I think it's going to be very hard to police this. I think the Supreme Court just hammering the NCAA with that 9-0 decision and the Judge Kavanaugh like just scorching of the NCAA, I feel like 
the NCAA realizes like if you bring any more stuff here, we're going to question your entire your you know if your organization is even constitutional. So I don't think there's a lot the NCAA can do. So you're that Tennessee collective, and you're saying, all right, we're going to pull all this money together, and you want to be if you join our collect if you come here, you'll be part of this. You have to show up for this autograph signing or whatever. So that's what you have to do. If you do this autograph signing, then you get a car and a, you know, um, an apartment or whatever, all that kind of stuff. So I, I don't know if the NCAA is going to have a lot of teeth to fight this. And there's just some real basic guidelines as of right now, but it, I think it's going to be wild. I mean, I I don't know what, how you're going to stop all this. No, I don't. And, uh, I think that's what, you know, what we were talking about up top, um, Pac-12 is just going to be behind and all that stuff, and it's a matter of whether or not they get the wherewithal or whether or not there's some realistic revenue sharing or some sort of controls put on this in the future. Yeah, and there's so there are some schools that you know I act you know you can talk to the compliance, and most places the school is not allowed to be involved. They can't broker deals. But um, I was listening to one podcast. It might have been might have been the audible where they talked to a school administrator that felt like they could help broker deals. And so it, I just don't know if there's going to be much, even if people go completely off the rails, like I don't think the NCAA is going to be doing much about it. So it's a, uh, but you're not supposed to have like performance based incentives. The logo thing's a big deal. You know, like schools would have to work with the uh, players, you know, like, if you if you're if you play for UCLA, you can sign like something for your name. But if you create something that's the UCLA logo on it, now you're infringing on their trademarks, and there's there's issues, you know, legal issues there. There's a lawsuit that just came out about they're suing USC and UCLA, saying that these student athletes should be employees. So I, I mean, there's a lot more to come, I think, with this stuff. But absolutely, it's kind of crazy. Uh, let's see, what do we got? Um, Next email, cup and recruiting bias. This is from Drew. Uh, Not a big fan of paragraph breaks. No, this is uh, this is going to be tough to read. With Cooper Cup winning the receiving triple count crown, gaining nearly 2,500 total receiving yards this season, and a Super Bowl MVP, it begs the question, how does a guy like that go completely unrecruited? How could an in-state power five teams, Washington or Washington State, miss a guy like that? He had an NFL dad. Played in Washington's 3A level, the state's second highest. It's not like he was a late bloomer as he spent uh, his time at Eastern Washington destroying Pac-12 teams and breaking all kinds of records. That brings me to something that any football fan can notice but is very much taboo to talk about, but is their recruiting bias against white skill players. I can't remember ever seeing a white kid playing corner at a Power 5 school or any D1 school other than for that matter, and while schools like Bama have had some on the roster, they almost always are legacy players who never see the field. It's not like the ones who make the league are not good enough. Guys like Cup, Jordan Nelson, Adam Thielen, etc., were obviously talented enough to be at Bama, Ohio State, etc., but never got that opportunity. Do recruiters and recruiting rankings look at white school players differently and maybe encourage a guy who's a cornerback in high school to put on 20 pounds and become an outside linebacker or safety? I know this is a difficult subject, and I don't want to start anything like a racial debate, but I've noticed that it's only really something you can see at running back, receiver, and DB, with few exceptions, such as a McCaffrey. 
as guys on the inside who have been around a long time, is this a thing that happens uh, with what a guy like Cup did in college versus Power 5 teams and is doing in the NFL? I see no possible way he shouldn't have been at minimum a four-star recruit other than he was written off as a small white kid playing for a bad team in Washington State. Um. It's so it is a tough conversation. I do think there, um, the reality is everyone has inherent biases. Um, and, uh, some of it is, uh, you know, I think for an evaluator, um, they're going a lot of times, um, you might run into a situation where you're like, what is, who does this guy look like? How does he, who does like, cause you're trying to fit it to a comparison. Right. Um, and so I'm just trying to think of like a, um, a relatively, um, uh, pain-free explanation for it. Um, cause I think that's, you know, I, I think there is some inherent bias going on, but, um, I don't know. There's, there's also some realities where, um, I mean, fewer white people are playing football. Um, and so the demographic of the sport is changing, um, more and more. Um, and so that plays a role in that specific topic. Um, but it's, you know, there's also, um, uh, uh, predominance of um the white people who are playing football or playing quarterback or offensive line and i think it's the reverse thing happening there um where i think uh you know and and with quarterback especially um it gets into a a, a money contest too um because the the kids who can afford the trainers and afford all these things and um you know where is wealth concentrate in this country um, so there's a lot of dynamics at play with which positions um, end up with uh, specific demos. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think there's, you know, who knows why Cooper Cup was under-evaluated. It could have been, you know, I, I don't know anything about his history. He could have been 5'8 yeah. coming out of high school. I have no idea. And then he grew six inches. Um, and he could have been good, but then the thing that you're getting at isn't that he's white. It's that he's 5'8". Um, you know, and I have no idea what he was. Um, and right, it, it might very well have been. So um, he could have been a like a he could have been a black receiver and the same thing. He just developed later or whatever. Like it, yeah, I don't and, think and it was look, a, I mean, everyone's got everyone, everyone in the entire world, including me and including you, the listener, have your biases when you're approaching anything, and it's a lot of it is unexamined, and a lot of it you don't even know is going on. Um, and a lot of it's just the way our brains work. Um, well, I'm going to, I'm going to compare this to a thing I've seen before because that's the easiest way to contextualize it for yourself. And, uh, sometimes you don't even know that you're omitting potentially, um, valuable, uh, context or valuable, um, things because you're just trying to fit it to a pre-exam pre-determined, uh, um, pattern of some sort. So in this case, well, uh, I, you know, I, I, I haven't seen a guy who looks like that playing, you know, that way or whatever it is. And you're like, Oh, okay. Write them off. Um, yeah. and not even necessarily consciously. This yeah. That can happen. I remember one of my buddies, my setter in high school, actually, this guy, Jeff was a really good basketball player and I, he would go to camps and stuff, but he was a white dude. And he was like, it was really hard to get attention, even though, you know, cause most of the players were black, but they would just, it, if you're an evaluator, you've seen, you know, you you're looking for something like you said that you're familiar with and you're like, ah, you know, this guy better be like exceptional. Otherwise I'm not even going to bother. And he felt like there was some sort, I remember that him telling me that like there was still some, well, sort of like bias. there's, there are like tropes in scouting and I don't even know, like I have no idea, but like tropes in scouting that are like, Oh, well he's a, he's a, he's a white kid. So he's going to get less athletic as he gets older. Um, like as he grows into a full, like a, an adult's body, 
he's going to get less athletic. And that's like a trope that I've heard. And I'm like, I don't know that that's true. Like, I'm, I'm not a kinesiology or like a, you know, I don't, I'm not a physiology guy. No, um, but there's this like, there's scouting tropes like that that are out there um, and like real things about like body development. And it's just like, I don't know. Uh, and, you know, that's where it's like, uh, I could evaluate this and I could interrogate it or you know, I just don't do this. I don't do the evaluation. Yeah, we're around the teams. And to be fair, like, I don't think, I think you can embrace race. Like, it becomes like, I mean, I think, you know, the Cooper Cup stuff, like people will talk about it. Um, I mean, Jason Seahorn was a cornerback for USC when I was in school a white cornerback who ended up, I think he went like a pro bowl. He ran like a four, three. so he was sort of like a unicorn. There just weren't that many white cornerbacks. Um, I played golf recently with Sonny bird, who was like uh, Pete Carroll's like first tailback. He was a white guy uh, and you know, South Bay guy and Brandon Hancock. And they made jokes. Like I think Todd McNair was the running back coach. They were like the albino backs. Like there was a couple of white running backs, well, and they, you know, and there was like, embrace like they were just like oh we don't have a lot of white running like it, it wasn't like a, it didn't seem like it was ever a problem they sort of like just well it's they so made fun of so it or whatever now that we're like talking about it it's interesting to think about so say you are a white guy um who wants to be a corner right so first start with black quarterbacks what do they have to face people constantly telling them uh, what all that the you, you need to be a wide receiver and yeah. at every level starting at freshman quarterback and then on through their high school career then into their college career yeah. And then even in the pros, and if oh, you're like, you need to switch over to wide receiver. And if you're like a drop back black quarterback that doesn't want to run that much, and they're like, no, you should run. You're like, no, no, I'm a drop. You're like, you're fighting that constantly, constantly. Yeah. And so, like, how many people were talking about? Um, who was it who was constantly talked about as like um, an athletic quarterback? Was it Steve McNair, who was not a dual threat at all? No, no. But <laughs> constantly talked about as a running threat, and it's like, no, you're not watching him play. You're, yeah. you're, you're base or like Cam Newton. He's he not fires the ball though. Just like these guys are more like pocket passers and you're talking about them as um anyway what uh or not cam newton i'm thinking of uh james winston um yeah cam but, would run people over yeah cam would bulldoze people um <laughs> so but there's that and then um the reverse thing which is and uh this is like if you've if you've got a you know a white guy who wants to play cornerback and they start in eighth grade football well, if you're fast enough to play cornerback, then you're fast enough to play wide receiver. So you're constantly fighting probably your coaches at the middle school level and then your coaches at the high school level who are telling you, well, no, 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 you should, because of their own kind of inherent yeah, biases. Yeah. Well, no, you should be playing wide receiver. You should be playing both ways. And then you've got evaluators who are saying, oh, but you're more of a receiver in college. Why? Well, probably because of unexamined bias of some sort. Maybe you're a good cornerback. I mean, who really knows at that age? Um, and so I, I think there's probably some pre-existing factors that go into it that are based on um, other people's perceptions of you. Yeah. Beyond which, beyond your actual, because anybody who's um, athletic enough to be a speedy receiver, because um, you do find a lot more, um, I would say, you know, counter to this, you find a lot more uh, white receivers than you find white cornerbacks. Well, why is that? And that's, right. you know, because I don't know. You got that thing. And I think now in the NCAA transfer portal years, like if Cooper Cup goes under the radar and he plays at Eastern Washington and he goes for like 1,500 yards his freshman year, like Washington would be like, hey, come on, transfer here. You know, and uh, you might, you know, it's one of those things where it's just evaluation and it's tough. And we, I don't know his story. We'd have to go back and look and see, you know, did he go to any camps that he, you know, that's great that he played for the second best division in Washington, but you're still like some small school in, 
in Washington State is just not getting the same kind of recognition that if he was in South Florida or something. You know, if if Cooper Cup grew up in South Florida and was a decent size, like he might have got recruited by like Miami or Florida. You know, I don't yeah. know. It's like who knows? Yeah, but I I wouldn't just jump to race being like, you know, the, the maybe Brandon Huffman just hated him. Like did you ever think of that? We should, uh, like, we maybe Huff. Brandon. Maybe Huff just like actually he hated the kid. Yeah, and that was it. Maybe. Like, sorry, no, I hate that kid. <laughs> Love you, Huff. Um, you, Huff. Think okay. of you today, Huff. Uh, yeah, we are. Avery Strong, buddy. All right, this is from uh, Matt from San Diego. A proclamation, a question, and an idea. Uh, good morning, evening, and, or afternoon, gentlemen. First off, I would like to proclaim my devoted love for this podcast. As to the surprise or disappointment of the both of you, uh, it, it somewhat serves a purpose in my life. Wow. My dad, an avid UCLA fan, passed away a couple of years back, and listening to you banter every week about this goofy conference sometime <laughs> somewhat fills in the goofy conversations my dad and I would have about this goofy conference. So thanks for that, I guess. No, seriously, thank you both for the entertainment. Oh, well. That's very sweet. Thank you, Matt. Um, glad we can play that role for you. Um, anyways, I have a question stemming from Dave's comments in last week's show. He stated that the only teams in this conference with the overall ability to win a championship when performing at full capacity are USC, Oregon, and, quote, God forbid, UCLA. He also said the ASU is at the tippy top of the middle tier of teams in this conference. So one omission I made is Washington is also in that group at the okay. top. Um, but uh, I would like to know how you both would rank the schools in the conference. Would USC, Oregon, and UCLA be the only teams in the top tier? Is ASU better than Washington if placed in the middle tier? Would Utah, in retrospect, be somewhere in the lower tiers? I'd like to get opinions from both of you. Um, so I guess if it's from a potential standpoint, like... If you just if you wiped out all the rosters for both teams and you wiped out all the coaches and you just said these programs like what is their potential? I mean, I think it would be, you know, well, yeah. I mean, I think it still would be USC, Oregon, UCLA, and Washington. And Washington. Yeah, I think those four um, with Arizona State, a lot of potential. You know, a ton of potential and a ton of potential as Phoenix continues to grow. Um. Did they've got to start. The, they've the got to management open like the two holes in ones on sixteen, and they just like littered the. It's crazy. I you, didn't you watch. Yeah. yeah, it's like Super Bowl. Like they're going nuts. That place is great. A lot of great golf courses. It's just it is an awesome place. Like that place, they should kill it there at Arizona State. Kill it. Love it. Love love hearing you talk about golf. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. So if I'm ranking it, um, Utah's in that middle tier. It's just from a rec uh, you always got to think of it from a recruiting potential standpoint. And Utah, I think, is it's dependent a lot on development, and then because of that, it's dependent a lot on a coach. Um, I think Kyle Whittingham has built something really special there. I don't know if it's sustainable beyond Whittingham. Um, that's where you get into like cult of personality stuff. Like, is this is it Whittingham or is it Utah? Um, structurally, you know, USC is always going to be USC and it'll always have the potential to be USC again. Uh, Oregon is getting there. Um, UCLA is slowly losing that, um, or rapidly losing that, but you know, maybe, <laughs> maybe eventually they can get back to it and recruiting at a high level. Um, and Washington has it at like, they're like the, the, the bottom of the top tier in that no, their recruiting base isn't what the other schools are and no, um, you know, the structural, you know, place is not as like, okay, they're always going to be able to reload, but there's enough there that they could, you know, get back to a top 20 recruiting class every single year because they were just there like four years ago. Yeah. Um, and be back in the, you know, playoff conversation there pretty quickly. Um, 
ASU, I think, has potential to get into a top tier if Phoenix continues to grow and if they can actually show some ability to retain Arizona talent here pretty soon. And I think, I mean, where was Oregon like 20 years ago? You know, like, well, that's the other thing is like all you can get up every there. every program has potential because every program you could just have. OK, uh, you've got a really rich donor and um <laughs> Because I mean, Eugene, Oregon is nowhere. It's nothing. It's a. It's a. Uh, they built like, their own it's, tradition. And it's stuff, fancy yeah. Corvallis. Like it's the same thing. Um, and uh, there's, like, I, if you haven't looked at a map of Oregon, look how many miles separate Eugene and Corvallis. Like it is not much. And the fortunes of those two programs couldn't be more different. Um, yeah. And uh, the reason for that is uh, basically one man's largesse. So. Uh, but you got to have some success. Like Utah broke through, you know, won the division a few times, won the conference, you know, they win a Rose Bowl, they go to a playoff. Maybe you're not doing that every year, but you do that for a couple of years, you can you can put yourself in that top tier. But it that it's going to take a little while. It's not just like, oh, they went to, went to a Rose Bowl, so now they're in the top tier. Like no, like but several years of that. I mean, we saw what Oregon was able to do and get close to winning a championship and, you know, changing the, the sport with the Chip reason, Kelly and all that. Yeah, but the reason we talk about it with Oregon is because they've also done it across coaches. If it was just like Chip Kelly had four great years there and then right, yeah. uh, farted around. But they did it with, uh, you know, Bilotti was pretty damn close to elite tier. Uh, yeah. And then you had Chip Kelly, who was. Then you had Mark Helfrick, who went to the freaking playoff, the first ever playoff. And were they in the title game? I think they were. 2014? I think they were, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, and then you had Cristobal who, you know, won a couple of Rose Bowls and was, uh, also in that kind of near elite top tier. So they've done it now across coaches. That's clearly a program, um, that is elite, not just a, a coach with Utah. I just don't know because Whittingham has been there, I think for, uh, is it, is it, he's in his 52nd year as the Utah head coach. He's, he's up there. I think 18 or something. Yeah. But uh, he's been there forever and he's built that program in his image. And it's very much, it does all the things that he wants a program to do. Will that be able to sustain beyond him um, is the question. It is 18. So you need, so for Utah to get to that next tier, Whittingham has to be like the Bilotti. And yeah. then they need a Chip Kelly after that. Like, so building on what, you know, you had the Urban Meyer, like, you know, that was, but you didn't really like, you know, they were they now are they're a power five team. If Whittingham ends up being the Bilotti that like sets the standard, and then you get this younger, you know, innovative coach that builds on that and like makes runs at playoffs and everything, then then you're gonna then we would be talking about, hey, it's USC and Oregon and Washington and UCLA and Utah or whatever, whoever ends up being that top tier. What's it UCLA? So Oregon won a couple Rose Bowls. UCLA recently did they win a Rose Bowl? Or what was the? I don't remember. I'm trying to think. Um, <laughs> within my lifetime, they've won a Rose Bowl. Okay, uh, very good. Barely. What, what, what do you remember about it? Uh, well, I remember um, vestigial memories. Um, I was I was drinking some formula um, and shitting my diaper, and uh, and UCLA so won like the a couple Bowl. years ago. Then. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> nice, uh, but yeah, so. I think, I mean, Oregon State, like Washington, like, I don't know, like if you, it's going to take a while, but you can build on, Utah's built this great foundation with Whittingham and. Or you can be like Arizona 
and we are big Arizona fans here on the All podcast. Um, and you've got uh, your Mike Bellotti, your uh, Chip Kelly, and your Mark Helfrick, and uh, and uh, Mario Cristobal, and Dan Lanning all rolled into one, and Jed Fish, baby. Right. They're built on that one. Hey, he might season. even be the Phil Knight. Who knows? Who knows what kind of wealth is lurking in Jed yeah. Fish's background? All right. And then lastly, I thought of a game you two could reluctantly take part in. It'll be called the Podcast of Champions Snap Count Draft, where you two at the beginning of the season take alternating turns in a draft-like format, going through each team's roster and picking the incoming players, true freshmen or transfers, that will play the most snaps on their respective teams. For example, whomever gets the first pick would go with DTR, and the second pick would be Jaden Delora, whom each will play a large number of snaps. At the end of the season, you two tally up the snap counts of the players you each picked respectively, and whoever comes away with the highest total snap count wins. The outcomes of the winner and loser will be decided at a later date. I hope this appeals to the two of you enough to where it gets stuck somewhere in your brain uh, brain matter while going in one year and out the other. That's all I got. Sorry for all the typing. I love the show. I love you both. And I love my incredibly disappointing Bruins FSC. Sincerely, Matt from San Diego. Um, I, I like the idea. The problem is a lot of schools don't track snap counts, and I would have to then we would have to then do some oh, labor God. and uh you know i think usc does a good job of tracking their snap counts maybe i know shotgun did shotgun a thing. does it he does shotgun it. does it because he's crazy he is insane um i don't know so there are some schools that actually do track it and they post it um but not everyone and so it would re- require a little bit too much labor to do it by snap count we could maybe go by position um and do like who will have the most rushing attempts who will have the most um pass attempts yeah we could like do that. that we could do yeah. stuff like that do like a little fantasy draft i'm a little confused though he said dtr like is he talking about newcomers like he wrote dtr and Jaden delora like those would be the first two picks but dtr is returning to ucla he's not a newcomer is that did i read this wrong or you know what i'm talking about like he, yeah he's talking about transfers or freshmen i don't know maybe he got confused i sometimes get confused midway, through, midway through an email so who knows <laughs> um but yeah i mean we we could do it with just everybody who cares or we could have like you know we could ask each publisher hey nominate like your five top newcomers you think will play the most and then we draft from them i don't know something wow really outsourcing the work i love it could do uh, a little more outsourcing well that way we don't know that way we don't have to um know anything which is good yeah we just pick from a list uh all right thanks matt from san diego and thanks shane for giving us the topic because like you know we literally like hmm yeah well not we. I was like, oh, what should we do? Like, okay. Th- thanks, Ryan, for carrying the show because I am falling asleep in my chair right now. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll wrap it up. Uh, that is David Woods. I am Ryan Abraham. And uh, did I say my name right? Probably not. <laughs> you just fucked up your last name. It's now 10 o'clock. It's hard. Uh, yeah, I'm Ryan Abraham. And uh, we are the podcast of champions. We and, are. Uh, we are tired. It's Wednesday night. But we really hope you enjoyed the show. And we will talk to you next time. Good night. The baseball season is in full swing, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Stample, every weekday as we recap every player from every game. We'll talk waiver wire ads, drops, players to trade for, prospects who could make an impact, and everything in between. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found.